All right. I'm I'm trying to time something here. I'm not not being successful yet. Um, I'll do it. I'll do it in a minute. All right. I want to start with uh, an exercise tonight, just to make sure we're all awake and loose. Wasn't that song so good? That was really good. We could have done that another ten minutes. That's a keeper. Um, raise your right hand. Okay, Carrie, that's your left. I haven't got there yet. Now your left hand. All right, good. So we're going to do an either-or kind of thing. After we all cheer for the newest RCMP member of our church who just got back, Pete. Pete, you know, I thought you might have come up and shared that story. How long have we prayed for you in this role? It's years. Yeah, it's, it was a long time, but wow. Tuesday you got back. Is that right? Yeah. Perfect. We're so glad you're here. Okay, we're going to do an either or. And uh, if uh, I'm going to say two, two things, and you're going to choose. If, it, if the first thing I say is the one that you would choose, right hand. And if it's the second one, then left hand. All right? I know you have to think about this. But mm-hmm. We'll do an easy one to start. So right hand for the first one, left hand for the second. Uh, tea and coffee. No, we got some lefties there. All right. Coffee. Some right. Okay, perfect. Here's another one. Uh, Coke or Pepsi? No. Uh, it's mostly righties on this one. A few lefties. All right. Jazz or classical? Both hands up. (laughs) That's so good. All right, here's another. Um, Football or football? (laughs) Pete, you're with me on this one. I know it. Lefty, but left hand up. All right. Ah, I got one for you. Okay. Left hand or right hand? (laughs) You have to think about that. Come on. Thai food or Chinese food? No. What, what was the first one? No Thai food or Chinese food? <laughs> oh, we got a lot of Chinese food lovers here. All right. I don't have to take you guys out for lunch. I know that. Tomato or tomato? Shelly? Yeah, Shelly's got her left hand out. Look at that. We knew that one was coming. Sacramental or spontaneous? Uh, I'm fooling with you. I'm fooling with you because, well, let me tell you why. When we preach this series, I have instructed others to go into the text. We can read the book. We can all do that. But what I want to do is I want to make sure that we're diving into Scripture. Well, I'm going to break my own rule tonight. Because when we read chapter 10, Sacramental Prayer by Foster, I think it is so rich that I want to highlight a couple of things that I think are there. Now, I qualify for seniors parking at Rexall Pharmacy now. (laughs) This means that you get a parking spot as close to the door as possible. 55 and over, right? It irritates me like crazy. I know I'm getting older. But they also say that the older you get, the wiser you get. 
And finally, I think I'm beginning to see the depth and the value of prayer. I told you the story of Wales this week. I want to be telling stories of that in my own life, in the life of Southside frequently. Martin Luther once said, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Others remind us that a prayerless life is a sinful life. Without prayer, we are functional atheists. And our desire as a church this summer was to grow in prayer. So, some are taking full advantage of reading in Foster's book and, and following along in the study guide and just leaning into prayer. I have a ways to go. I have a lot to learn. I have discipline to uh, put into my life in various areas here. But I am bound and determined that prayer will become the priority of my life. For without it, the life that God designed for us is impossible. I want to challenge you and invite you this summer and tonight as we listen, I want to invite you into that kind of life. But how? Well, I told you I was messing with you when I said sacramental or spontaneous because it's not always either or, sometimes it's both and. My guess is that many of us are spontaneous. We, we come to this idea that, hey, prayer just needs to be a spontaneous thing that comes from within and we have ignored the sacramental. But I want to give four reasons that Foster gives us for why sacramental prayer is so crucial for us. Here they are. First, he says it helps to create an imagination for prayer. Have you ever heard people say, I, I don't know what to pray. One of the reasons I don't pray is because I don't know what to pray. We run out of things to pray. And I know it. There are times when after a few minutes, we, we don't know what to pray. And we sort of go through the same things over and over again. What, what's next? We wonder if even God gets bored with some of the same old requests time after time. Foster says sacramental prayer, praying the prayers of those who were before us, expands our imagination for other areas to which we might pray. It's an answer to I don't know what to pray. We pray the prayers of those who went before and it stirs our imagination to go wider, to get out of the deep rut that we've created in our prayer lives. But how do we do that? Well, there's lots of resources to help us with this. My dad told me once when I was young, pray the Psalms, for that's what they are. They're prayers. And when we read a Psalm and then begin to pray it, isn't it amazing how all of a sudden our imagination for what we might pray expands? Same thing with other scriptures. We, we begin to learn to pray through the text, not just read it, but pray it. Put ourselves into the story and then begin to pray what God's putting on our heart. Well, here's a second. He says, not only is it about expanding our imagination, he says, it brings us into communion with the saints. In praying the prayers of people that have gone before us, we begin to understand that our story is rooted with God and his people. We're not merely autonomous individuals. No, instead, we exist as his children, not just merely individuals who exist at a certain point of time. 
that we're part of his family, descending down through the story of God at work in his people. If you haven't caught on yet, I have been totally captivated by the series, The Chosen. If you have not seen it yet, come to my house, put a mask on, do whatever you need to do to come in and watch this series with Shelley and I. We sit there crying every single episode. It's so powerful. The one we watched this week, the show starts, always it starts, usually in the Old Testament about a thousand years before Jesus. And this scene had to do with Jacob. And there's Jacob in the land of Canaan and he's meeting somebody from the land and the person comes up and they start dialoguing about why is Jacob here? Jacob says, well, my God sent me here. And so they start talking about his God. The person says, that's a strange sounding God that you worship. Why did you choose that God? Jacob's response, we didn't. He chose us. And just the depth of that sort of theological reflection See, we belong to the God who chose us. We belong to the people who were chosen by God. Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses records what's been known as the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This was such an important part of the Jewish story, of their identity. They prayed it three times a day. By the time we got to the New Testament, this sacramental prayer, they'd added, and love your neighbor as yourself. We too may join in with praying the Shema and others like it to realize we're part of a story that goes all the way back past Abraham to Adam. Here's the third one. Foster says that it com combats conceit. For some reason, I think it's called sin, we tend to come to a point where we believe that our words have more importance than others' words. We, we slide into believing that somehow we're more special to God than others might be. Our words carry more weight. Well, when we pray sacramental prayers where we're reminded of the eloquence of others and the fact that God hears all prayers equally. So where do we turn? Well, we turn to Scripture scripture for this one. Remember the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector? There's the Pharisee. Thank you, God, that I'm not like that guy over there, that tax collector. I don't sin the way he does. But how was the tax collector praying? He was beating his chest and he was confessing his sin before the Lord. Or how about the time when Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount taught his disciples to pray, including saying, and don't stand on the street corners where everybody can see you. No, instead, be humble in your posture and in your position. Well, another resource that's been very helpful to followers of Jesus over the years is the Book of Common Prayer. It's an Anglican prayer book. It's been around for 500 years, filled with scripture, filled with common prayers that give language, language that tells us that we belong to the story and that we're no different than anybody else. Last one. Sacramental prayer develops community. You know, over the last number of maybe a couple of hundred years, there's been this move towards individualism. 
Some of it comes from the enlightenment, some from psychology that promotes the autonomous individual self. But we, God's people, are communal. We belong to one another and are formed into the very image of Christ. It's not just a private thing. It's not about my private relationship with God. It's about a communal relationship with Him. We are an ethical community, not just a collection of individuals. The sacramental prayer reminds us that we are one. We are community together. Well, there's resources for this as well. Gathering together on an evening like tonight reminds us. Even when we sing, it's a prayer to Him that reminds us how much we need each other. The writer of Hebrews says it this way, Do not give up gathering together as some are in the habit of doing. No, we come together to pray. We come together to pray so that we rid ourselves of the worldly mentality that our faith is private. Oh, it's personal. But personal inside of the idea that we're communal. Perhaps the greatest resource comes from Jesus himself when he taught us to pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father. We spent two rich months earlier in the year focusing on this sacramental prayer, this prayer that's already been scripted for us. And how rich was that to realize that God is calling us into a new kingdom, to join him on mission in our neighborhoods? Well, you each have the sheet that Craig gave out that put together a little bit. If you flip it to the other side from where we were singing, you'll see four sections, part of the story, participating with God's people, practicing obedience, participating with God's people, Book of Common Prayer. See those four sections? Here's what I'd like us to do for five minutes. I want us to get into groups of four or five, uh, practice safe distancing as best as we can. Have somebody read the first one. Just read it. And then choose either Psalm 23 or the Lord's Prayer. Pray that together for a few minutes. And then I'll give an instruction right at the end. In fact, I'll read that common prayer as we draw this part to a close. All right? Five minutes, groups of five or six, and we'll come back together in a few minutes. In about 30 seconds. Erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we've done those things which we ought not to have done. But you, O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare us those who are penitent. According to your promises declared unto mankind in Christ Jesus our Lord, and grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of the Holy Name. Amen. Well, good evening. Um, so we're going to continue on in Foster's book on prayer. And um, we're going to spend a few, I'm going to spend a few minutes talking about unceasing prayer, uh, which is a more spontaneous kind of prayer. So before I became a believer, my significance, my value, my identity was based in what I could achieve, what I could accomplish. That was what defined me. Then I became a believer and not much changed because now I wanted to do things for God. And so I asked the question, Lord, what is your will for my life? But really it was, 
what can I do for you, Lord, to make you approve of me? See, I wasn't really entirely converted at that point. And I was asking completely the wrong question. But then over time, I began to ask a better question, which was, Lord, who do you want me to be? And how can I become that person? And the scripture that we're looking at today, which was 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, which we heard a little bit earlier, really speaks into that. It says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but that's actually quite hard. Always, continually, and in all circumstances. It'd be a whole lot easier, easier if, it, if Paul said, sometimes, maybe, when things feel good. That would just make me feel a lot better. But it didn't say that. He says, always, continually, and in all circumstances. So today, as we're looking at unceasing prayer, we see this... Um, this command of pray unceasingly, continual prayer, sandwiched between the rejoicing always and the, and the uh, giving thanks. And so you can't actually really separate those three. And so I wanna just touch a little bit on each of those three, but mainly the unceasing prayer. So first of all, Paul is writing to the Thessalonian Christians who are being really persecuted. They're being beaten, they're being killed, they're having their property taken away from them. And in the middle of this, he says, rejoice always. Okay, so that, clearly, he's not meaning be happy because they're in really dire circumstances. So what does rejoice always actually mean? And he's basically saying, have great joy in, have great delight in the person of Jesus, the one who is constant, the one in whom they have their identity, the one who gives them hope despite their circumstances. And then out of that joy comes adoration and praise. And a great example of this is we see in Mary and her Magnificat, where she, here's this 15-year-old girl who is pregnant, she's not married, and in her culture, that would probably mean she would be stoned to death. But she says, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, because she trusts she trusted in God's unchanging nature. She knew who he was, and she knew who she was in him and in his people. And she was firmly rooted in him so she could rejoice. And we too face difficult circumstances. Maybe you have lost a job. Maybe you are having tensions in your household. Maybe you have had a life-altering moment that literally turned your world upside down. But in the midst of this, Paul is saying to us, as much as he was saying to the Thessalonians, whatever your situation, choose to delight in God because of who he is, the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So how might we actually do this? Well, Cam even mentioned in sacramental prayer about going to the Psalms, and I'm gonna say the same thing. We go to the Psalms, and we read about how the psalmist gave their praise and adoration to God in the midst of really, really tough circumstances. And this helps us to find new language as to how we can praise and adore God too. Another thing we can do is we can choose a characteristic of God. Choose one characteristic a day, whether it's God's holiness, God's grace, and just think about it, reflect on it throughout the day and be reminded as we do more and more of that, that this very God 
dwells within us, and that will just cause us to praise him. So the second command Paul gives us is that of the praying continually, continually, which is really the crux of the message today. And when we see praying continually, I immediately think, yep, failed again, can't do it, possible. And for some of you, it doesn't actually even sound that exciting to pray continually. I mean, how can we possibly pray when we have busy lives, we have demanding jobs, and as Foster says, we've got so many distractions, so many responsibilities. Our minds are jumping around all over the place, and we can't even go five minutes without checking our phone, right? And now we hear Paul saying, pray continually. So he doesn't mean for us to be on our knees praying all the time. There is a time and a place for that. And nor is it a, um, a command just to plod along dutifully in prayer. But this is a call for us to enjoy God all day long. If we go back into the book of Genesis, uh, we see, we read about Adam and Eve in the garden, walking with God. They were enjoying this perfect, unceasing conversation with him. And then sin came in and severed that relationship. But now again, through Jesus, we are invited back into this communion with God. And it's not that we are to pray every second, but it's that we have a posture of complete dependence and attentiveness to him. So, so often we think of prayer as this thing we do in a little allotted time, and then we go about the rest of our day. But we cannot, we cannot divide our time like this because when we separate God from our daily lives, then God just becomes this little niche in the corner of our lives that every now and again we open the door and invite him into our, into our lives. We must be willing to bring all of our thoughts, the good, the bad, the ugly, the sinful, the shameful, all of them into a conversation with God rather than just thinking about them because we think all the time. And so when we bring it into a conversation with God, we move from this self-centered monologue into this God-centered dialogue. Cam and I, um, we love to go to Whistler. And when we go, we go in the summer, and uh, we just love to walk, and we walk and walk and walk. And in those times of walking, we sometimes have these great dialogues back and forth, back and forth. And then there's other times where we just sort of have the odd little comment here and there. And then there's other times when we're walking that we actually don't say anything at all. But we're really aware of one another's presence. We're really attentive to one another. We know what each other's mood is. We know usually what the other person's thinking. And so it, it's kind of like that with God. We need to be attentive wherever we are, whatever we're doing, to what God might be wanting to say to us or what we want, might want to be saying to him. So we, we need to be ready to offer that prayer for the co-worker that's sitting uh, across, the, across the desk from us. We need to be ready to offer the prayer for the neighbor who we just saw crossing the street. We need to be ready to pray when we suddenly are faced with a temptation that's right in our face. So we are to live one thought away from prayer all the time. So how do we do this? A few ways, maybe, we commit to doing morning and evening prayer, and 
Self-fighters, you've heard this many times, our morning and evening prayer, it's a practice that we have. At the beginning of the day, we bring our day before God and we invite him to guide us, to lead us, to show us what he has for us throughout the day. And then at the end of the day, we reflect back and we saw, we see where he's been at work. And just having that morning and evening prayer keeps our attentiveness throughout the day on God. Another way that we might do this is we choose a short phrase. Bridget Foster calls this breath prayers. And it's something that we just constantly throughout the day bring before God. And it could be as simple as, Lord, show me, show me the way. Lord, guide me. Or you could just say the word Jesus. Just to continually recalibrate, refocus our attention back on the Lord. And another way we could possibly do this is practicing the presence in the really mundane tasks of our day. And again, Foster talks about this. He, he talks about Brother Lawrence, the 17th century monk, who in the midst of washing pots and pans had this beautiful, deep, profound communion with God. So what, what are your mundane tasks that you have? And maybe it's a time you can say, I'm going to use these mundane tasks to intentionally converse with the Lord. And third and briefly, Paul says, give thanks in all circumstances. Now, he's not saying for all circumstances, but in all circumstances. There's so many things that can happen both in the world and in our own lives that we cannot possibly be thankful for. But like joy, thankfulness is anchored in who Jesus is. So maybe we have received bad news, but we can still thank God that he knows our situation and he's promised to walk with us through it. Or maybe our health fails, but we can thank God that he gives us strength for each and every day. Or maybe we've had a big financial setback. We can thank God that he is our provider and he is teaching us to trust him. So as we learn to walk in thankfulness, what is a way that we can practice that? Well, maybe we, could, we can choose, commit to saying, hey, I'm gonna choose five things each day that I'm gonna be thankful for. Or maybe it's 10, maybe it's 15. You pick the number. And then as we do this regularly, it will become as natural as breathing. And we will, we will our eyes will go beyond our own circumstances that can really bog us down into a thankfulness and a joy in the Lord. So when it comes to, as I come to a close now, I just want to uh, remind us that these three commands, rejoicing, praying continually, giving thanks, they require real intentionality to do them. They're not natural. It's not just going to fall on your lap. We have to choose to do this. And it might not be easy to begin with, but nothing worthwhile is easy. And, and yet the reward of obedience in these is so rich and full. And so as we are able to, maybe able to see here, these three commands are so interconnected. For when we delight in God because of who he is and his nature, we know that we can talk to him about absolutely anything and it will be received with incredible grace. When we continue to be in the presence of God and pray throughout our days, we can be thankful that he hears us and he will answer in his time and in his way. And if we adopt a posture of gratitude, it will lead to joy as we take our focus off of ourselves and onto the one, the only one who is worthy. So let's begin 
this journey today of rejoicing always, praying continually, and giving thanks in all circumstances.